Welcome to Spirited Word. By God's Word proclaimed, the Holy Spirit works faith in God's grace in Jesus, when and where He pleases. Sermons by Pastor Adrian Kitson, Lutheran Church of Australia. Welcome to Spirited Word. The Gospel reading for today is written in the fourth chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, beginning at the 21st verse. Jesus began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. And Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, Heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, prophets are not accepted in their hometowns. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious. When they heard this, they got up, drove him out of the town and took him to a brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way this is the gospel of the lord praise be to you O christ well god's peace and god's word be with you as we just spend a moment reflecting on that really interesting uh turn of events wouldn't you say on that day that Jesus came to his hometown. Uh, all spoke well of him, and they were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. But a question, isn't he Joseph's son? And then Jesus, truly I tell you, prophets are not accepted in their hometowns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here. And we pray now that you would help us receive your word, your Holy Spirit, speaking through your word to us in our journey of faith. So be with us now, Holy Spirit, and open our hearts to receive what you say in the name of Jesus. Amen. They must have been pretty happy, don't you think? Pretty stoked to have, you know, dear old Jesus, who they'd known since he was knee-high to a grasshopper, making it so well in the big wide world. Here's Jesus. He grew up here. We know him. We watched him grow up and we watched him do whatever he did. And we've heard rumours about what he's been doing just over the other way in Capernaum, just down the road a bit. He's, uh, he can read the prophets well. He just did that at the synagogue this morning. He moves around the synagogue pretty well. He seems pretty comfortable with what he's doing. And uh, he's pretty impressive because he's speaking with, well, some authority or some understanding that we didn't know he had. And that's pretty impressive. 
And, uh, you know, well read, Jesus, well read. Well done, young man. Good work. Glad to have you back home. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said in the synagogue that morning. He sent me to announce freedom for the captives, new sight for the blind, healing for the sick. God is here. God is acting. And he's acting in favour and grace and blessing to all kinds of people. And what a way and what a privilege it is for us as the hometown crowd to have this bloke we know very well start off his public ministry with his first sermon in our town. or pretty close to it. What a, what a privilege. Good on you, Jesus. I know your mum and dad, by the way. And I know your cousins. And I know your house. And I know where you and your family settled in this area. Gee, your dad, your granddad. I, yeah, my, my brother knows your granddad. And he'd be pretty proud today to see you doing all this and all those miracles that you did. Pretty impressive, Jesus. Good on you. Glad that you're back in town. Can you see the problem? Can you see the problem? The home crowd, hometown crowd, they can see, they surely can see, but they're not listening. They can't hear. They're seeing the show and they're celebrating the return of one of their own. Lots of backslapping around town. Oh, yes, I, I taught him Sunday school, that's why he's so fantastic, or, you know, whatever. It's all our responsibility, he's such a wonderful bloke because, you know, where he comes from, it's our town, you beauty. There's all that going on, but they're not hearing what he said. They are not hearing what he's saying. They're not hearing what he's doing. They seem to sort of forgot or they haven't noticed yet that he's actually saying something. And if they were to listen to it, they'd be quite stunned. Because he's really saying, by that beautiful text that he quotes from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to announce freedom for the captives, etc., that the whole weight, the whole story, all the promises that they know very well, their whole story as people of God rests fairly and squarely in this man right now, right here. And he is saying, I am ushering in the long-awaited promise that you've been waiting for and your fathers have been waiting for and your mothers have been waiting for and your fathers' fathers and mothers' mothers have been waiting for for a thousand years or more. Here it is. Here it is. I am it. I am the new day of God's favour. The new day, the new era, the new time of God's blessing for the world. But they can't hear it. They can't hear it. Could this be you? Could this be me, us modern day hometown people? Could we be blinded by the outward show of things from time to time? Or maybe we're blind or we can't hear because we're caught up in all the trivialities of life surface-level, superficial things that seem to occupy us endlessly? Or are we blind to the deeper things of God acting in our life on a day-to-day -day basis, but we miss them because we're so distracted or so whatever? Could this be us? Hold that thought. Now, because Jesus has begun and he has to speak, it's on, it's started, and he's only got a short amount of time he speaks and he will push them. He will push them so that they hear. But he will and he does. And the way that he does it, he, he uh, speaks two stories they know very, very well of their own people, in their own history, in their own understanding. 
First one, the widow of Zarephath. 1 Kings 17. Elijah. He's on the run from the Queen Jezebel, who was killing all the prophets of God. He's the last one left. And he comes across this place, Sidon, which is nowhere near Israel. Well, it is, but it's in their mind. That's Gentile territory. And he comes across this widow who has a son, I think, doesn't she? And she has one little bit of olive oil left and a little tiny bit of flour. That's all she's got left. It's a three and a half year famine, big drought. And she gives the prophet the flour and the oil to make one little last little biscuit thing or bread or whatever before she intends to go upstairs with her son and lie down on the bed and die of starvation. And through a turn of events and various things, God saves her and her son. And the point, she heard and she understood and she responded in faith and she's not Jewish. She's not an insider, not a hometown person. Second story is even better, I reckon. If you ever read about Naaman, he's a, check it out. It's a very cool story, particularly for blokes. Naaman is a power man. He is leader. He's probably two IC to the prime minister in Syria. He's a general. He's a tough man used to getting exactly what he wants. But he's got a big, big secret. He's got a death sentence. He's got leprosy. And in their day, of course, no cure. So uh, this great man with great power and great whatever else rocks up to Elisha, the prophet. Beautiful story, 2 Kings 5. Very cool. And by a whole bunch of things, he has to swallow his pride and learn the the simple ways of God and the ways of faith and love. And he's healed of his leprosy. And Jesus you know, makes this point. A lot of other Jewish people had leprosy and a lot of other hometown people had leprosy and they weren't healed. Only Naaman the Syrian. Why these Gentile healings? And why raise this now? Why these particular things pulled out? Is it because the people who are supposed to know and supposed to understand and supposed to know Jesus and who he is and what he was all about, couldn't hear him. And so he pushes them to help them hear and to listen to him. The people were supposed to know, but they didn't. Instead, they actually showed the opposite, didn't they? A very small-minded, narrow view of things. Obvious question. Is this you? Is this me? How's things going on your walk? It's not that hard, is it, to get lost in a bit of self-congratulation and some unhealthy belief that, you know, I know the Lord and uh, I don't need to know any more, thank you very much. I've got it pretty much covered. And it's not that hard for Christian people who are doing the right thing in gathering in worship and knowing their community and belonging to a church community to settle into a pretty enjoyable community, one that you belong to, and maybe enjoy the comfortableness of that community a little too much. It's not that hard. Almost to the point that we kind of forget to listen to the way of Jesus, to the word of Jesus. 
It's not that hard to be a little too me-centred, as we know, or a little us-focused as a church, as if our life as St. Petri Lutheran Church is really built on what we know and what we can do and what we understand, ignoring the reality that we're only here by the sheer grace of God and without him we're nothing. Easy to get to that. Jesus, he shows here that he does not stay silent. He pushes people and he pushes us until we will hear. Now, he doesn't, I don't believe that Jesus does this to de- deliberately make us uncomfortable or confu- to confuse us or to make us uh, unsure of things, even though that can happen. Surely the reason that he does this is because he wants to bring in the year of God's favour to our life. Forgiveness and healing and hope. All of those beautiful things that he can give and does give. That's why he pushes us. Not to make us uncomfortable and squirm in our pew, but to love us and to teach us and shape us in the way of love. And if this makes us uncomfortable, or even makes us angry at God, or even better, angry at the church, or angry at my Christian friend who's just told me I'm not as good as I thought I was, and I haven't got together as much as I thought that I'd got it together, and I'm actually just like everybody else. I'm not that special. If that happens, it seems to me that by his actions this day and other days, so be it. So be it. I mean, is Jesus really that concerned about our comfort level? I don't see him in this text being at all concerned about our comfort level at all. But he's just concerned about us. Well, how quickly can the crowd turn? How quickly can any person turn from great, wonderful adulation to absolute cutting anger and hatred? The angry crowd, they are so angry. They've just been told they're not as favoured as they thought they should be as the in crowd. You know, God's loved people and all that. They remind me of some football fans that I came across once. Don't worry, they're not Adelaide Crows or Port Power supporters. But I had to get this picture up. Uh, It was a bit like this in Western Australia when Chris Judd went to Carlton. And I was there... I think I was, I'm pretty sure I was there on the day that he came back to play for the first time. And the home, you know, the, he wasn't a hometown boy, he's from Victoria, but man, he was the champ, mate. They won the premiership because of Chris Judd and other people. And when he, he's the, now the, the great hometown man or the great, the great hero becomes the despised, you know, the traitor. He went to the Vicks and all of that stuff. And I was really embarrassed by the behaviour and the belief on display at Subiaco Oval that day. The hometown crowd displayed all the worst traits that we saw. And I think that's what's going on here in Jesus' hometown. They're angry, eh? They are really, really angry. How angry would you have to be to grab, after the service today, to grab me, push me around and take me up to Mengler's and push me off? What would I have to say? to really get up your nose that much and make you so angry that you'd do that, that you'd even bother to do that. They were really angry, really angry. And like this hometown crowd, 
who were angry at him for saying that they were not as smart or wise or as self-sufficient or as in or as welcomed or as, you know, favoured in God as they thought they were, we may get angry at God too. We may get angry at a brother or a sister in the faith who challenges us and asks us to have a good, hard, long look at ourselves. You might even get angry at your pastor who says a similar thing. Who knows? The question is, and we always have a choice, will you chuck him off the cliff or will you go where he, follows, where you, where he leads? It's always the way it is with the word of God, particularly when we're uncomfortable and being challenged. Will I receive this as a word from Jesus, whom I know, who has my best interests at heart, who loves me, who wants to open up the world for me the way he sees it, or will I chuck him off the cliff and just distance myself from this moment and blame someone else? Always a choice we Christians have. Will we settle for what we know as if there's no more experience to have in the Lord? Will we settle for that kind of life, really? Or will we trust that we're still on the road of discipleship with Jesus, learning, not always easy, often feeling uncomfortable, but still on the journey. Will we take it that way? His call to his hometown crowd and his, you know, his family and friends and all of that, and really to all the people he came into contact with for the next few years, was really this call, wasn't it? Listen, believe, believe, listen. That was always his call. And he doesn't have any interest whatsoever, it seems, in hometown rivalries or petty concerns of these kinds of things or in the comfort level of his people. He doesn't seem to have much interest in that. Today is a strong and uncomfortable call to drop our hometown advantage, if we see ourselves that way, and let him take us where we need to be taken in his estimation. We all have the choice of throwing this away or plucking up the courage and the faith to say, okay, I don't understand, I'm a bit confused, I'm not quite sure what you're doing, God, but it's you doing it, so I'll trust. I know who you are. You're not stranger to me. You're my heavenly father. You're my saviour, Jesus. You're my counsellor, Holy Spirit. I'll go with you, even though I can't see and I don't know how it will, where it will take me. I'll go with you anyway because it's you. There's one more thing going on to finish off today, just this bit. There's a lot of grace going on here today. There's a lot of grace going on. Here's the thing. He, magically, how did he do it? He walked through this angry mob and they just laid, they took their hands off and they, he just went. He just kept walking. He just kept walking. And he walked through that angry crowd and that blind crowd and that, and that narrow-minded hometown crowd and he would keep walking for the next three years. And eventually he would walk all the way to Jerusalem. And then in Jerusalem he would meet another very much more dangerous angry crowd. And they would yell out what? Crucify him. And he would walk up that Della Rosa, Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering, the way of human suffering, and he would walk all the way to Golgotha, the rubbish dump, and he would allow them to 
do all the things we know they did. And then he would keep walking even further. He would walk out of that empty tomb. And who is he doing it for? He's doing it for the angry, hometown, disinterested, unhearing, narrow-minded people. He's doing it for them. Even way back at the start. He's doing it for that. He's doing it for people just like that. Amazingly, he doesn't condemn us for our lack of hearing and our lack of understanding and our trivial concerns and our hometown issues and our whatever. He doesn't condemn us. He just keeps walking and he just keeps speaking. And he will go to great lengths. And I'm sure many people here, all people here would know in your life It took him a while to get through, but he got through in the end. And sometimes things have to happen that aren't very nice for him to get through. And he's not trying to tell us what to do. He's trying to help us love. He's trying to open us up to his love and the world as he sees it and his love. Isn't that what St Paul's saying, really? You know, about love. Love is the, the only thing that really matters. All the right words and all the moral choices and all the issues that we can resolve and all of our stuff that we're into, if it hasn't got any love in it, self-sacrificing, giving Jesus love, it's just a noisy gong of no consequence. But a careful word, a patient word, a kind act, a compassionate move, that's love. Humility, gentleness, sometimes tough love challenge and saying what you need to say even though you know it's not going to go down too well for the sake of love not any malice so folks he's a man on a mission and he's on your case and he's with you not in a bad sense he's wanting to open all of us up to more of the way he is and who he is and show us whose we are and help us to love truly love and be loved to love our partner, to love our spouse, to love our friends, to love our enemies. Amazing. So he's on a mission and we're on a mission and we must continue to walk with him and therefore we must continue to speak even if they don't like what we say. It's important to speak and to keep walking and so we learn to love. Amen. Heavenly Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help this word to bear really good fruit in our life and above all, use this to help us love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Pastor Adrian serves at St. Petri Lutheran Church, Nuriutpa, Barossa Valley, South Australia. stpetri.org.au